Acts chapter number 7. There's something there in Acts 7. We talked, we read through that Sunday night, but there's something there I noticed while studying to preach Sunday night that I have not, just haven't been able to get away from. And while reading and studying today, preparing for tonight, Lord brought it back to my attention again and went back and studied on it. It was a help to me. I'm going to try my best to hopefully be a help to you here tonight. So I'm going to go back and read the same passage you read uh, Sunday night. And I'm just going to pick out one verse there at the end and we'll get on with the message. But go ahead and read there where we were before. Um, we know the rest of the pastors is Stephen. He's preaching there, giving his testimony and preaching, going through all the Old Testament, telling Jews where they're wrong, where they messed up. Starting in verse number 20, so we started Sunday night there with Moses. In which time Moses was born and was exceeding fair and nourished up in his father's house three months. And when he was cast out, Pharaoh's daughter took him up and nursed him for her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in deeds. And when he was full 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian. For he supposed his brethren would have understood that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. And the next day he showed himself unto them as they strove and would have set them in one, one again, saying, Sirs, you are brethren, why do you wrong one to another? But he that did his neighbor wrong thrust him away, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge over us? Wilt thou kill me as I did the Egyptian yesterday? Then fled Moses at this saying, and was a stranger in the land of Midian, where he begat two sons. And when forty years were expired, there appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai an angel of the Lord in a flame of fire in a bush. And when Moses saw it, he wondered at the sight, and as he drew near to behold it, the voice of the Lord came unto him, saying, I am the God of thy fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Then Moses trembled and durst not behold. Then said the Lord to him, Put off thy shoes from thy feet, for the place where thou standest is holy ground. I have seen, I have seen the affliction of my people, which is in Egypt, and I have heard their groaning, and am come down to deliver them, and now come, and I will send thee into Egypt. The part I'm trying to get to there is that last verse we just read, verse 34, I have seen, I have seen the affliction of my people, which is in Egypt, and I have heard their groaning. I've been taking a little bit of Bible college class, little small classes on New Testament church planning, and one of the assignments for the class was to read the book of Acts through three different times. Of course, to start of this class, after I've already read the book of Acts three, three times this year, so I'd start over. So now it's my sixth time going through the book there. And every time I go through this book of Acts, I find something different that I didn't see before. It's amazing how that works every time. And this book, God's Word, never gets old. It's alive. It's there for us all to learn from. It never changes, but it's always growing, growing in our hearts. It says what it says. It never will change. Every word is there for forever. It's never going to change. If a man does change it, he's wrong. It ought not to change. But if you'll just read it and you'll... Pray about it let the Holy Spirit show you more and more every time you dig into his word. Well, this phrase has stuck out to me like I've never seen it before. I've read it a hundred times before, and both here it's mentioned as well as in the Old Testament. Is that phrase mentioned in verse 34, and I have heard their groaning. It mentions it again in Exodus, or the first time in Exodus 2.23. And it came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died, and the children of Israel sighed by reason of bondage, and they cried. And their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. This is the passage, the scripture that Stephen is referring to when he's testifying, preaching here in the book of Acts, chapter number 7. It's the same, he's talking about the same thing. And I've heard that all my life, but never really thought about it much before this past week. God heard the groaning of the Israelites. Begin to do a, a word study on that word groaning in the scriptures, a groan. It's also, also translated as sigh and mourn. It's used all over the scriptures. Notice that time and time again, God was hearing people's groaning, hearing people's mourning, hearing people sighing over and over and over again. 
When we mention that word groan, at least for me, I think of a complaining people. My kids groan, they're complaining, I fuss back at them. You shut your mouth, quit groaning. But that's not what this word means here in the scriptures. It means to sigh, it means to mourn, it means to cry. This groaning is a sound made by somebody who just doesn't know what else to say. And God hears it every time. Webster 1828 Dictionary says this about the word groaning. It says, the act of groaning is lamentation, it's a complaint, a deep sound uttered in pain or sorrow. That means these children of Israel, at this point in scriptures anyway, they were not just complaining and whining, they'll get to that later on, but at this point, they were crying out because of the sorrow and pain they felt while they were under bondage in Egypt. They were crying unto God, and God heard them. God heard it, and God called Moses to lead them out of there, get them out of there. He gave them a solution through their groaning. The Lord said, I'm going to try to spend just a few minutes here tonight, not going to take too long, and look at this word in the word of God and preach on this thought when you don't know what to say. First, I'm going to go back to Exodus. The first mention of this word groaning is what we just read, Exodus chapter 2, and see what we can learn from it. We talked before about the first mention principle. And when something's mentioned the first time, the scriptures usually hold that same meaning throughout the rest of the word of God. So turn back with me, if you would, Exodus chapter number 2. All the way back almost at the beginning, Exodus chapter number 2. While you're turning there, we talk about some Sunday night. Moses, he has grown. He's 40 years old. He's had a burden for his people, like we talked about Sunday night, and or put that in his heart. He goes, he sees the Egyptian, he kills him because of his because of what he's doing to his people. What the Egyptian doing to the Israelites, Moses kills the man. The Jews don't trust him now. Pharaoh is looking for him to try to kill him because of what he's done to the Egyptian. Moses ends up in Midian, sitting down beside a well. The priest there in Midian has seven daughters. They came to the well to draw water for their father's sheep. Then the shepherds came, and they kicked the ladies out of there. The girls ran the girls off. Moses steps up. He defends them. He helps them draw their water. They go back home. Their father finds out. Their father, the priest, finds out, and he gives Moses one of his daughters to wife. So Moses decides, okay, it's not that bad of a place to Midian anyway. I'll stay. So he stays there in Midian. He has a wife. Pretty soon they have a son. Later on, they have another son. All this happens just the just first few verses before verse number 23, where we're going to start here in Exodus. All that has taken place. Exodus chapter 2, verse number 23, we've already read it before, but it says, And it came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died, and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage, and they cried, and their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his coming with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So Moses is in Midian, not in Egypt anymore, but back in Egypt, the Pharaoh died, another one came along, and now the children of Israel are sighing because of their bondage. They are crying. They are crying so much that it came up under God. These people are hurting. God's people are hurting. They are sorrowing, and God heard their groaning, heard their crying. Now, the people of Israel, they will mess up over and over and over again. We looked at that in the book of Judges when we studied through some of that. And that's not that far in the future. They're going to start messing up. They have a problem with faith. They're going to get tested. They're going to get tried. They're going to mess up. But right now, in this passage, Exodus chapter number 2, why are these Jews in Egypt? Why are they in bondage? They're in Egypt because God allowed them to be there to survive a drought. You remember back with Joseph, Joseph down there in Egypt. He, he sold into slavery. The Lord worked all that in his life. He saves the Egyptians by storing up food for seven years, the good fat years, and so they can eat for the seven lean years for the drought there. And his brothers come down. They go back, and his brothers and his father come down. They all are in there in Egypt, all 12 brethren, the father, Joseph, his wife, his two sons, all there in Egypt together. Years went by. Another pharaoh came and didn't know Joseph. And Israel turned into a bunch of slaves in bondage in Egypt. 
Everybody understand? We, I think we're on the same page there. So is it the Israelites' fault that they are in bondage in Egypt? And they're groaning because of their bondage. Is it, is it their fault at this point? I don't believe it is. Not this time. Just like Sunday morning with the blind man. Some things God allows to happen just so he can get the glory out of it. The same thing here with Israel. He's going to get the glory when they come out of Egypt at this time again. So the groaning is not because they are in sin at this point. They'll get there. But they didn't put themselves in Egypt. Their ancestors came there under the direction of God so they could survive as a people. So this groaning is not complaining. It's not trying to run from trouble that they caused. It's simply pain and crying because of the burden that they are under. Have you ever been under a burden and you really don't know why? We talked about some of that before. You just I don't know why. You don't know why you're there. You didn't do anything to cause it that you know of. You haven't sinned that you can think about. You just, you've just been dealing with a circumstance that's been placed in front of you. These Israelites, they didn't cause themselves to be put in Egypt. They're dealing with the circumstances that they were born into. God allowed that to happen. It's not their fault. It's not your fault. You're under that burden sometimes. You just wake up every day and you have to deal with it and you have to bear it. And Lord, I don't understand why I have to bear this burden. I don't understand why I have to be under the, underneath this bondage. And you're groaning because of the burden that you're bearing. I'm going to try to encourage you. I know I don't do that very often. I know it's strange. I'm trying to encourage you tonight. Even when you don't know what to say, there's, when, you, there's nothing, when there is nothing to say, when all you can do is cry or mourn or groan, God hears that too. Israel groaned and God heard. I look at a few different people here in Scripture that groan, a few different mentions of it. Job groaned. Turn over to Job chapter 23. Try to get through this tonight. You know how people that never smile, they look strange when they smile. Well, I never preach nice, so I feel strange when I'm preaching nice. <laughs> Try to anyway. Job chapter 23, verse number 1. Then Job answered and said, Even today is my complaint bitter. My stroke is heavier than my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. I would order my cause before him. I fill my mouth with arguments. I would know the wor- words which he would answer me. And understand what he would say unto me. So we know the story of Job. We'll start there for the sake of time. We know the story of Job. Satan is tempting him to sin. He's trying his best to get Job to forsake God and sin. We know that. Satan thinks he knows Job better than God knows Job. God allowed this testing to take place. We, we know that in chapter number one. Job's so-called friends here are coming in one by one. And they're, they're coming to Job and they're blaming Job for his problems. He's saying, Job, this is your fault. It was Eliphaz there in chapter 22 before this chapter. He accuses Job of sinning. In verses 6, 7, and 9 of chapter 22, he is accusing Job of being greedy and stingy with his blessings and saying, that's why God took it away from you because it's your fault. You're stingy. We have all the story written down for us now, so we know the truth. We know what really happened. But if that was us, we'd probably be the same way as Eliphaz, be blaming him for it. But Job knows that's not the case. He knows he didn't do anything right. He's talked to the Lord about it. Later on, he'll, he'll learn to pray and get right again. But he says, yes, my complaint is bitter. He, talks to his, he responds to his friend. Yes, my complaint is bitter. Even today, my complaint is bitter, he says. But he says this. He says, my stroke is heavier than my groaning. I'm not very smart. That took me a little bit to figure out. What does that mean? That means that what he is going through, the stroke he's going through, is so much worse than the groanings that he has made. He's saying, I have sufficient cause for my groaning, my mourning, my crying. I have sufficient cause for it. You have no idea what I've gone through. 
My stroke is heavier than my groaning. You think the groaning is bad. You should see what I've really been through is basically what this means. It's a lot worse than I'm making it seem. What is the point here? What is my point? Sometimes you don't know what else to say. Some people, even your closest friends, aren't going to understand. Job's close friend did not understand one bit. They, they are blaming him for it. It's not his fault. Even his own wife told him to forsake God and die because of what he's going through. But all Job can do is just groan and cry, just mourn and cry. Just nobody, not even his closest friend, even his, his spouse understands what he's going through. You ever been there before? You're just going through a battle either, either in your mind or just in your life, and people mean well. They, they may love you, and they may be trying to do their best to make care for you, and maybe trying their best to help, but in reality, they just do not understand what you're going through. I've never lost a parent, so I, I can, if you lost a parent, I can pray for it, but I, I can't understand that. I never have. I, don't, I hope I don't have to. I, probably come to that at some point. I, never, I hope I never have to. Sometimes people just don't understand because they've never been there before. It might not be your fault as it was in Israel's case or as it was in Job's case. The burden might not be your fault. It might be caused by you, and maybe nobody else can understand it. I'm glad there's a God in heaven that even when we don't know what else to say, when all we can do is groan, he hears that too. And he understands it. Even when we don't understand it, he understands it. He knows what we need. You can go read the end of the book of Job, and God blessed Job abundantly over and over again. Why? Because he was faithful. Just remain faithful. Remember, God hears and understands the groaning even when nobody else does. When you don't know what else to say and nobody else understands it, God still does. Israel groaned. Job groaned. David groaned. He did a couple of different times. We're going to look at one instance there in the book of Psalms, chapter number 6. In David's case here is a little bit different. In Psalm 6, as Pastor about to read, David has realized he is a sinner before God. And he's repenting before God. He's looking all around him, the sin going on around him. And he's talking about his own sin, repenting. He's begging God for mercy. And I'm thankful that God's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, as Miss Arlene knows. It's a little bit different case here. Psalms chapter 6, verse number 1. O Lord, rebuke me not in thine anger, neither chase to me in thy hot displeasure. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are vexed. My soul is also sore vexed, but thou, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, deliver my soul, O save me for thy mercy's sake. For in death there is no remembrance of thee, in the grave who shall give thee thanks. I am weary with my groaning. All the night make I my bed to swim, I water my couch with my tears. Mine eyes consume because of grief, it waxeth old because of all, thine, all mine enemies. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity, for the Lord hath heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord hath heard my supplication, Lord, to receive my prayer. Let all mine enemies be ashamed and sore vexed. Let them return and be ashamed suddenly. Verse 6, David says, I'm weary with my groaning. All the night I make my bed to swim. I water my couch with my tears. That's a lot of crying. He says in verse 7, my eyes consumed because of grief. He's just begging God for mercy, begging God for forgiveness because of what he sees, because of what's around him, even because of what he has done and who he is. I like verse number 9. The Lord hath heard my supplication the Lord will receive my prayer. First John 1, 9. Sorry, if we confess our sins, it's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's no excuse to sin. But aren't you thankful for a long-suffering, merciful God that is willing to forgive us even when we don't serve it, even when we don't even know what to say, just the groanings because of what we've been through. Even when we're swimming in tears like David was here, don't know what to say, just weary with groaning. 
even sorry for what we've done ourselves. David says, Lord, have mercy on my supplication. Lord, have heard my supplication. The Lord hears groanings even when it's our fault. Aren't you thankful for his mercy on us? We don't deserve any bit of it. Israel groaned. Job groaned. None of it, it wasn't their fault. David groaned. Even when it was his fault, God still forgave him. Number three, Jesus groaned. Turn to Psalms while you're there. Psalms, Psalms 102. Depending on who published your Bible, it may say there at the top of the chapter, a prayer of the afflicted when he is overwhelmed and poureth out his complaint before the Lord. This is a messianic psalm talking about the mind of Christ while he's there in the garden of Gethsemane. Psalms 102, verse number 1. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come unto thee. This is Jesus' mind there in the garden. Hide not thy face from me in the day when I am in trouble. Incline thine ear unto me in the day when I call, answer me speedily. For my days are consumed like smoke, and my bones are burned as in hearth. My heart is smitten and withered like grass, so that I forget to eat my bread. By reason of the voice of my groaning, my bones cleave to my skin. I'm like a pelican of the wilderness. I'm like an owl of the desert. I watch and am as a sparrow alone upon the housetop. Mine, I, mine enemies reproach me all the day. They that are mad against me are sworn against me. For I have eaten ashes like bread, mingled my drink with weeping. Because of that indignation and thy wrath, for thou hast lifted me up and cast me down. My days are like a shadow that declineth, and I am withered like the grass. But thou, O Lord, shalt endure forever, and thy remembrance unto all generations. It's considered a messianic psalm. This means it's a prophetic psalm, most likely written by David. We don't know for sure the author of it other than the Holy Ghost. But it's prophesied, mind of Christ. This is his mind while he's there in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying and crying out to God, preparing to go to the cross. Jesus himself says in verse Five, his mind, by reason of the voice of my groaning. He's begging God to remove the cup of suffering from him. We talk about that in the New Testament. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done, he says. Talks about the cup. Jesus groaned under the burden of your and my sin, preparing to go to the cross. He's groaning in a burden that was not his. It was yours and mine. And he's groaning underneath it. Even Jesus groaned under a burden. Hebrews 4.15. We have not a high priest which can't be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And don't get me wrong, obviously, our burden is nothing in comparison to what Jesus did for us. Obviously, we know that. But that being said, Jesus knows what it feels like to groan because of a burden that you didn't put there. We don't know what else to say. He hears the groaning. Why? Because he knows what you're going through. He, cannot be touched with, he can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He knows what you're going through. Even Jesus himself groaned underneath that and begged God to take the cup from him. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus groaned another time. Over in John 11, you don't have to turn there. John 11, Lazarus is dead. It says, John eleven thirty three. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Verse 38, Jesus therefore again groaning in himself cometh to the grave. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. Jesus groaned when Lazarus died. It says he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. If you look at that word groaned in the Greek there is it's used in John 11, it means to snort with anger. Not the same type of groaning as every other groaning we looked at. Jesus groaned in the garden because of a heavy burden. Jesus groaned in anger when Lazarus died because of their lack of faith. 
They buried him, knowing Jesus was coming. They buried him. He was disappointed in him. He snorted with anger, it says. Different type of groaning. Jesus understands that one too. So Israel groaned. Job groaned. David groaned. Even Jesus himself groaned more than once. And last thing, we'll be done. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Israel groaned, Job groaned, David groaned, Jesus groaned. Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh an intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is in the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. The Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. That word infirmities means our feebleness. The Holy Spirit helps our feeble, our weakness. Sometimes I just don't know what to say. I've been under burdens before, and I just don't know what to say. I don't even know what to pray about. I just don't understand. I can't explain it. Other people wouldn't understand it, like Job. Sometimes it's my own fault, like David. Other times it's just circumstances I'm in, I'm in like Israel, like Job. And sometimes when the burden is so heavy, I just don't know what to pray. All I can do is groan. Then the Holy Spirit hears that groan, and he goes, and he intercedes for me with groanings which cannot be uttered. He hears your groanings under this burden. And he goes, and he groans, groans that cannot be uttered to the Father. And the Father says, I hear that. And Jesus says, I understand that. We read Hebrews 4.15 earlier. Go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, <clears throat> verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. We can come boldly into the throne of grace even when we don't even know what to say. When there's nothing left to say, the Spirit will help our infirmities. He'll hear our groaning and He'll groan to the Father. And the Father will hear that and the Son will understand that. And He'll give us grace to help in a time of need. Church, we serve a great big God who is willing to care for us <laughs> worthless people. There's a small church on a dead-end road in the ghetto of Craig, Alaska. Most people know where Prince Wells Island is, never heard of that before. There's a great big God in heaven who cares enough to hear me and understand me, even when I don't even understand myself. I don't even know what to say. He understands and he hears and he gives grace to help in a time of need. I don't know what you're going through tonight. I don't know who this is for tonight. Maybe it's just for me. Can I encourage you tonight, even when you don't know what to say, God the Father can hear that, and he'll understand what we need, and he'll give us grace to help in the time of need. I was a nobody headed nowhere before Jesus found me and saved my soul, and there are times I've been under a burden so heavy, I just didn't know what to pray, but didn't even know what to pray for. And I was hurting, and I just cried before God, and he's given grace to help in a time of need. Heard the groanings which cannot be uttered. We don't know what to say. He knows what you mean. Lord, thank you for this day and giving us, Lord. Thank you for to be here tonight. Lord, thank you for this church. Lord, thank you for being so good to us. Lord, we don't deserve it. Lord, thank you for loving us. Lord, thank you for saving my soul in Jesus' name.